Matthew chapter 5. I'm still hung up on mercy. I can't get away from mercy. I don't want to get away from mercy, to be honest with you. Well, we need mercy, don't we? Amen. I want to look tonight in Matthew chapter 5, and we see a wonderful thought there. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's, he's preaching. He's ministering to folks. And so Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1 says, And seeing the multitudes... He went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Well, there's our verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to preach on this thought tonight. Mercy multiplied. Mercy multiplied. Oftentimes when we look at this verse of scripture, we may look at it and misinterpret that verse. We think that we have to work to obtain mercy. We think we have to show others mercy before we're going to receive or before we're going to obtain mercy. Preacher Darren, that's what it says. It's not exactly the way it means it, okay? So we're going to look at mercy multiplied. Number one, I want us to consider the master of mercy. Who is that? Who's the master of mercy? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus has been preaching repentance to multitudes throughout Galilee. He's been calling his disciples. Sinners are being saved. And seeing the multitudes, in verse number one, that are following him, he goes up the mountain and he sets down and he begins to teach them the word of God. Now, he's sitting down. Nowadays, if a preacher sits down, you think he's contemporary if he tries to sit down. But in that day, the teacher would sit down and the followers would stand while he spoke. And believe me, folk, you wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. As he began to preach what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with the Beatitudes. And the first four, which is interesting to me, concerns our relationship between us and God. Think about it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, okay? So it's recognizing our spiritual bankruptcy. It's recognizing the poverty of our spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't need to be high and mighty and lifted up. He wants you to be poor in spirit. Listen, we are bankrupt. We have nothing. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. When we come to him, we come to him poor in spirit. But if we do, he said theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The second one is blessed are they that mourn. That means godly sorrow. You know, when the preacher was preaching and the Holy Ghost convicted me of my sin, I was ashamed. I, I was ashamed of my sin. I began to weep bitter tears because I believed I was going to die and go to hell. I might go that night and I need to be saved. I was ashamed of what I've done. And I was also thankful for what the Lord Jesus Christ had done for me. Amen. So that's the second one. A godly sorrow, that mourning. What happens if you mourn? You're going to be comforted. Praise God. The third one, blessed are the meek. That's a humble, submissive, 
teachable spirit. Blessed are the meek. The fourth one, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, the Bible says you're going to be filled. Praise God. That's going to produce right actions. This fifth one, that's interesting. We were looking Sunday at the house of grace. It had five porches on it. That number five just kept coming up. At the end of the service on Sunday, five people came forward and joined the church. I got into the service Monday over at the school, five, five, five. It just kept coming up. And in fact, tonight I should have been, I should have just been shouting, praise God. When I read this, it's the fifth beatitude and it's concerning mercy. Blessed are the merciful. So the first four, the first four is it begins to our relationship with God and now we begin to have our relationship with others. Others. Now, when we're broken, when we're mournful, when we're weak, when we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we're going to tend to be merciful. Now, here's the word. Blessed are they. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7. Blessed. The word in the Greek is the word makarios. And it, some people have translated that to be happy. Well, that sounds good. Happy. But hap, happy, hap is based on circumstances. And so maybe that's a poor translation because the word blessed means a deep, abiding, inner joy and contentment. Prosperity cannot produce it. Adversity and affliction cannot take it away. Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now, mercy does not mean that we're to ignore or we're to tolerate or we're to accept sinful, wicked behavior. I know folks that think, well, such and such is wrong and that's messed up, but I've got to show mercy to it. No, listen, what the Lord do? Did the Lord just tolerate sin? Did the Lord just accept wicked, sinful behavior? Absolutely not. Toleration of sin has nothing to do with love or compassion or mercy. Being merciful is not weakness. Being merciful shows sheer strength. Jesus is the master of mercy. He said, I will have mercy. Amen. I want to read back in the book of Exodus chapter 34. The book of Exodus chapter number 34. Exodus 34, and I want to begin to read in verse number five. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the, and the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord, the Lord God. What's his attribute? Merciful and gracious, hallelujah, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, watch here, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Do you see that? We think being merciful means that we're gonna tolerate sin or we're gonna accept sin. No, that's not being merciful. The Lord will not clear the guilty. Even though he's the 
God of all mercies, even though he's the father of mercies, even though he's the God of all comfort, he's not just gonna arbitrarily clear the guilty. Though he died on Calvary's cross, that sins might be forgiven. He doesn't just arbitrarily clear the guilty. He will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and the fourth generation. And what Moses do when the Lord said this, Moses made haste, he bowed his head towards the earth and he worshiped. Hallelujah. Oftentimes in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we will see Jesus move with compassion. And what did he do? When people had sinful lifestyles, we read out of the book of John, chapter number five, about a man who had been beside the pool for 38 years and nobody would help him into the pool. Everybody was concerned about themselves. And when the Lord passed by and he called on that man, five words, will thou be made whole? Now, the man said, I have no man to put me in the pool because when I try to get in, others step in before me. And the Lord didn't put him in the pool. The Lord said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately by faith, that man stood and rolled up his bed and carried it off. Thank God for it. Jesus went and found him there, remember? Inside the house of God. And what did he say to him? He said, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. Amen. Jesus didn't tolerate his sin. Jesus didn't accept his sinful lifestyle. Jesus was moved with compassion, honey, and he did something about it. When I was a sinner, he didn't just say, well, he's a sinner, I'll just let him go. No, he did something about it. He died on the cross, amen, in my place that I may be pardoned, that I might be redeemed, and he convicted me. He didn't just let me go. He convicted me of my sins. The wages of sin is death. I was gonna die. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but it is mercy. Amen. He died for me and he convicted me and when I called on him, he forgave me and washed me in the blood. So number one, Jesus is the master of mercy. Number two, what is the meaning of mercy? Now the Greek word for mercy found in Matthew chapter five and verse number seven is the word ilion, ilios. And it means to have a compassionate response. There are three elements to mercy, in my opinion, and according to the scripture, there are three elements of mercy, and you might want to write them down. The first one is conception. That is that you see the need. When the Lord Jesus Christ saw that man laying beside the pool, the scripture specifically says Jesus saw him lie. He saw him lying there. He knew he had been there 38 years. That is conception, amen. He sees the need. Second of all, there is compassion. It's where one is moved by the need. The Lord was moved by the need. The Lord came to him where he was, praise God, and he called out to him. He spoke to him, praise God for compassion, where he's moved by the need. The third area is compulsion. That's where one is moved to meet the need. The Lord told that man to rise up and he carried his bed off. Praise God. He saved me. He saved you. Three elements of mercy, conception, compassion, and compulsion. He did something about it. Oftentimes I read in the scripture where Jesus saw the multitudes and he was moved 
with compassion. That means he's responding to the need. He didn't just see the need. He did something about it. Hey, I want to read out of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33. Well, you say the Lord's, that he is merciful. Oh, yes. But then you turn around and said that he's not going to just clear the guilty. Oh, no. You've got to confess yourself a sinner. You've got to confess that he's the Savior. You've got to repent of your sins. That way he'll have mercy on your soul. That way he'll forgive you of your sins. Amen. Look what he says in Ezekiel chapter 33 and in verse number 11. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Do you see that? God does not delight in the death of the wicked. What he delights in is that the wicked would turn themselves and call on the name of the Lord. I can read to you out of the book of Micah. The book of Micah says that God delighteth in mercy. He doesn't delight in death. He delights in mercy. But the choice is yours, amen. And the choice was mine. What will we do with the offer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, when you and I receive mercy, the Lord expects you and I, the believer, to respond with conception, with compassion, with compulsion, that we might go forward and meet the needs of others as well. I'll never forget, there was that bombing that took place and uh, it, it, there was a statue of the Lord and the Lord was standing there with his hands out and the bombing took the hands off the statue. And they were trying to raise money to go back and put the hands back on. They said, oh no, the people are to be the hands of the Lord working out in the community. Say amen right there. We need to be working. We need to be showing mercy. We need to, listen, all of us deserve the punishment of sin. We all deserve to go to hell because we're sinners. But when we repent and seek forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ in mercy, he saves us by his grace. Mercy withholds the punishment that we deserve. God in mercy spared us from the punishment we deserve. I'm gonna read out of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number two. Ephesians chapter number two. I'm trying to move quickly. I've got a lot to say. Ephesians chapter number two. Look with me in verse number four. Boy, I love this verse. Oh, I love this verse. That word but, it is a word that, that recognizes change. But God. Hey, hallelujah. Amen. You know, you and I, we were dead in trespasses and sin. Verse four, but God who is rich in mercy, hey man, for his great love wherewith he loved us. He loved me when I was yet in my sins. He loved me when I was unlovely. He still loved me. He had mercy on me when I did not deserve any recognition from him at all. Look at verse eight. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. This is not a works-based salvation. It's a grace-based salvation. It's a faith-based salvation. It's a mercy-based salvation. Thank God for mercy and grace that we receive when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mercy pities us and grace pardons us. Amen. In mercy, 
I'm, I feel like running. In mercy, I do not get what I deserve. Boy, praise God. And in grace, I get what I don't deserve. I don't deserve heaven. But by his grace, praise God, I'm on my way. Praise God, I'm on my way. I think of that old song that said, if the deacons don't go, won't hinder me. If the deacons don't go, won't hinder me. If the deacons don't go, won't hinder me. I'm on my way. Praise the Lord, I'm on my way. Listen, if the church members don't go, it won't hinder me. If other people don't go, won't hinder me. Listen, we've got to be determined. We're on our way to heaven. Praise God. The meaning of mercy it is we do not get what we deserve. Thirdly, there's the ministry of mercy. It is threefold. It's building off of the thoughts that there's conception, there's compassion, and there's compulsion. Now I want to try to uh, alliterate those with a letter A. The ministry of mercy. For you and I to be merciful, I'm thinking about that man in the scripture. You remember, uh, he owed talents, I mean thousands and thousands of talents, thousands and thousands of dollars to the king. And the king was going to make, called him in to make a count. And he didn't have it. And he bowed his knee and he said, if you'll just, you know, give me a little bit more time, I'll come up with it all. And the king was moved with compassion. And he let that pauper go. And that pauper left that place rejoicing. And then he saw another person who owed him money. Now that he's been forgiven, now that he's been extended grace, now that he's had mercy, what's he going to do with it? He grabs that guy and says, listen, you owe me a pack of gum. He just owed him just a little sum of money. He said, I'll tell you what, if you'll have patience with me, I'll pay you all. Have mercy on me. And he wouldn't. He put his hands around his neck. I mean, he, he was ready to throw him into prison. Why? He that received mercy was not merciful. Boy, it goes on in our churches, goes on in the world in which we live. We receive the mercy of God, but when we turn around, are we merciful? Oh, there's a ministry of mercy that God's called us to. Preacher, God didn't call me to preach. He didn't call me to minister. Oh, he's called you to be merciful. Mercifulness involves an attitude of pity. Now, mercy is caring for the afflicted. It's giving help to the wretched. And it is rescuing the miserable. Hmm. To have mercy is to have pity and compassion for those in need. And to show true mercy is that you base this mercy that you don't only see it, but you're enacted to go and meet the need. And it doesn't matter about the person your helping's merits. Doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter how much money they've got. Doesn't matter their social standing or their class. Or, or, or It doesn't matter. You're willing to help whoever is in trouble. It's amazing. Showing mercy is not always easy to do. Showing mercy sometimes is unpopular. Showing mercy can be done only by the help of God. And we become, so I don't care how saved you are, if you're not careful, your old flesh will become so selfish, you'll get so bitter, you'll get so hard-hearted that you will not be able to show mercy. I'm thinking about uh, the Civil War. And there was a young man from the South that uh, was taken prisoner of war. He'd done a lot of heinous things and was ready to be hung before President Lincoln. And Lincoln had, I believe his son was 11, if I remember the story right, he was 11 years old. 
And he heard the men talking about hanging that boy. And he said, no, Papa, no, don't hang him. Hang on to him. This is what that boy knew. He knew that showing mercy would be what would restore our nation. Showing mercy on down the road somewhere is going to be what restores some things that's going on in our lives. So the next thing I want to say is mercifulness involves an action. Now hear me. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. As you're turning there, there was a shoe cobbler. He dreamed that Jesus was coming. And it was so real to him that he got up and he went to his shop and he waited all morning long because he believed Jesus was coming. And while he was there waiting, there was an old man that walked in limping and the cobbler noticed the old man's shoes were worn through. And so the cobbler was touched and since he's a shoe cobbler, he gave the man a brand new pair of shoes. He kept waiting. During the afternoon, there was an old woman that stepped in and she was hungry. And the shoe cobbler went back there and warmed her up some food and he and his wife and brought her out a warm meal. And later on towards closing of the day, there was a child crying outside. The little child was lost, crying for its mama. And the cobbler closed his shop early, recognizing the child and takes him back to his home. And that night the cobbler knelt down to pray and he said, Lord, I don't understand. Why is it that you're delaying your coming? And the Lord said, three times I came to your door. Three times my shadow was on your floor. I was the man with the bruised feet. I was the woman you gave to eat. And I was the child lost on the street. You see how that shoe cobbler got involved in mercy? He was looking for the Lord to come. And the Lord has come. Now I'm telling you the Lord has come in many different ways in our lives. And probably today he's been around us. Matthew chapter 25, are you there? Verse 35. Jesus said, For I was and hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Amen. God has extended mercy to us and are we extending mercy to others? Again, at the close of the Civil War, President Lincoln had a young man that they were getting ready to court-martial him and send him off to his death. And a mother from the north came in and said, please have mercy on my son. Please have mercy on my son. And some of the other officers there said, told them, said, tell that woman to be quiet. Tell that woman to leave us alone. Tell that woman that that boy doesn't deserve mercy. And President Lincoln said, ah, oh, it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. We must remember that there's not one of us in this room that's deserving of the mercy of Almighty God. 
I'm about to get tore up. And if God in his mercy has been so good and kind and forgiving and gracious to us, who are we to withhold being good, kind, gracious, and merciful to others who's around us? I'm telling you, it doesn't mean that you tolerate or you you accept sinful lifestyle. It is that you love people and show mercy to, to those that don't deserve mercy. Mercifulness, number three, it involves alertness. Someone who's merciful, you look for opportunities to show mercy. I think about the book of Luke chapter 10. We need to read this. The book of Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter 10. Let's pick up the reading in verse 25. Luke 10, 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Give me a definition. Give me a meaning. Let me know who is my neighbor. Who is it I'm supposed to be good to? Is it just to those that live within 50 feet of my house or my property lines? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, And when he saw him, oh, there's conception. He saw him. He passed by on the other side. Oh, he had conception, but he had no compassion. He had conception, but he had no compulsion. He saw the need, and he passed by on the the other side and did nothing about it. How many times had God shown himself merciful to this priest No doubt probably he had just gotten out of the synagogue. No doubt probably he had just gotten away from studying the word of God and has an opportunity to help someone. And what does he do? He passes by on the other side of the road and he does absolutely nothing. Verse 32, And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him. There's conception, he saw him. And passed by on the other side. No compassion, no compulsion. He saw the need. He did absolutely nothing about the need. I'm just wondering, has there been times in my life that God has shown me the need and I said, not now, Lord, I'm too busy. Not now, Lord, I can't get involved. I'm thinking about driving down the road. Me and my wife were on our way to a certain place, okay? And had a a, a certain time we needed to get there. And as we turned just up the straightaway around around the curve, was a car flipped up on its side. Inside was a mother who was cut from the top of her shoulder all the way down to her elbow. She had three little children strapped in those car seats, hanging there sideways. And my wife and I did all we could do. We, we, listen, it had been easy to have said, oh, we've got an appointment. We, we've got our nice clothes on. We, we've got to go right on by. But we saw a need. And I'm telling you, God convicted me immediately and said, You stop and help this woman. 
you try to witness and you try to talk to her. I'd like to tell you that she got saved. I'd, I'd like to tell you that things, but she didn't. But, but while we were working, getting those children loose and getting them out, and now that woman's cutting and we're trying to call 911 to get them there. We're the first people on the scene, first people there. And, and Gina's trying to watch the children, you know. And all these years that we've had the school and now she's got three little children on the side of a road to try to take care of them and tell them their mama's going to be okay. They're crying and they're not hurt and they're scared. But, but, but it was our job to be moved with compassion. We had conception. There was compassion and there was compulsion. Listen, I couldn't fix everything in that, in that lady's world. But just for a few minutes, we could watch and help. And I'm sure there are similar stories to where you have gotten involved to help people. But I'd like to say that those stories are many, but the truth is they're few and far between. Because oftentimes when we see a need, we say let somebody else deal with it. Or I'm too busy, I don't have time, I don't want to get involved with that, I'm afraid, I'm scared, I don't have courage. Amen! Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, thank God, he saw him, there's conception. He came to where he was, there's compassion. He had compassion on him and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. There's compulsion, amen. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Honey, I'm telling you, one day the good Samaritan, he's coming again. And he's going to repay all those that shown mercy. Oh, boy. If the host would take care of him and show mercy, I will repay thee. Which now of these three, thinkest thou, was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed what? What's the word? Mer oh, boy. Mercy needs to be multiplied. Mercy needs to be magnified. Mercy, mercy, mercy unto him that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. What are we told to do? That certain lawyer was instructed as you have received mercy, so others mercy. Friends, neighbors, church, as we have received mercy, we need to take that mercy and show mercy unto others as well. In Jesus' day, the Roman emperor, to him, mercy was a supreme sign of weakness. To show mercy meant that you would not show others that you had what it took to be a real man. But the mercy of Jesus Christ shows me who the real man really is. He was motivated to heal those that were sick. He was motivated to heal those that were sightless. He was motivated to heal those, to heal those that were soundless. He was motivated to heal those that were sorrowful, those that were sad, those that were sinners. He had mercy on every one of those classifications. Hallelujah. Number four, 
There is the merit then of mercy. Here's our text verse and I'll be done. Verse number four, the merit of mercy. Verse seven said of Matthew five, in the Beatitudes, this is the fifth of the Beatitudes found in verse number seven. What about five and seven going together? I like it. Matthew five <laughs> and verse number seven and the fifth Beatitude is found in the seventh verse. <laughs> Only God could have written this book. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Now obtaining mercy is not about the salvation of your soul. If you had to show mercy in other, to, in, in other words, to receive mercy, to get saved, it's a work salvation. I will say that again. If you had to show mercy for you to receive mercy, that's a work salvation. That is taught in some doctrines here that you have to work to obtain mercy. That is not what Jesus meant by this verse at all. There are some people that teach you Reap what you sow. So therefore, if you want to receive mercy from God or mercy from other men, you must sow mercy. All right, let me ask you a question. What happened to Jesus? Did they put him on a cross? Did they crucify him? Oh, yes. Had he not shown mercy? Right? We teach, if you want to receive mercy, you've got to sow mercy. But Jesus sowed mercy. Jesus showed mercy. Did he receive mercy? Did the Romans give him mercy? Did sinful men, did religion, did the rulers, did they extend mercy to Jesus? Oh no, they beat him more than any other man. They beat him so his, his visage was more marred than any other man. He was beaten and beaten and pulverized and brutalized. Praise God for it. So showing mercy to men does not always bring mercy from other men. But showing mercy to men will bring mercy from God. When he hung on that cross and he said, My God, my God, no longer is it Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Hallelujah, he was forsaken that you and I would never be forsaken. But now I'm telling you by the end of that thing, honey, he said, it is finished to tell us die. There's not another stroke of the pen. There's not another step in the race. Everything is done that needed to be accomplished. It is finished to tell us die. Praise God. Father, back to Father, into thy hands, I commend my spirit. And on the first day of the week, the Father raised the Son back to life. Now, the book of Colossians chapter 3 helps me a plenty. The book of Colossians chapter 3. I preached through this precious book many years ago. And uh, yesterday and this after, last evening and this evening, I've been digging in those notes, just trying to get some understanding about mercy. You see, you and I, as we've received mercy, we should show mercy. Because we've received mercy and we're saved, we're to show mercy. Look at Colossians 3, verse number 12. I, 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 I can't help it. I got to read verse 8. I can't help it. Verse 8. Look at verse 8. Just, it's just too rich. But now ye also, what's the next two words? Put off. Put off. Remember that. But now ye also put off all these. Put these things off. Anger, 
wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that you have, what's those two words? You've put off the old man with his deeds and you have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. That good Samaritan, he noticed that man that was laying there was no doubt a Jew. And the Samaritans and the Jews have no dealings one with another. But it didn't matter that day that he was a Jew. And to the Jew, it didn't matter that the good Samaritan was a Samaritan. He's had mercy on whom you'll have mercy. It's not about your socioeconomic classification. It's not about that. Your ethnicity, it's not about that. In the culture wars that we live in today, it's not about black, white, yellow, blue, green, yeah, it brown, it doesn't matter. Praise God. Verse 12, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. What's first? Vows of mercies. The first thing, when you're putting off these things, the first thing he wants you to put on is mercy. Hey, hallelujah. What does God require from us but to do right and to love mercy? You and I need to learn to love mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. Lord God, we could certainly use that. And forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Hallelujah! But doing that's not easy. The flesh don't like it. It's not popular with the world. I mean, showing mercy will probably cut down on your activity on your Facebook posts. People love dirt. They don't love mercy. In fact, let's read it again. Jesus wrote to the Ephesians. I'm thinking about preaching through the book of Ephesians soon. The Lord's leading me there. I can just feel it. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. The book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Preacher Darren, too many verses. Honey, I'll never read enough verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Amen. The believer should forgive because we're forgiven. And when we forgive someone, we're showing them mercy. We're laying down our weapons. And we're not going to bring up the past anymore. Oh, my. Well, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Read this. Matthew chapter 6. I'm almost done, I promise. Matthew chapter 6. Then I may, may take time out and preach out of Ephesians in a minute. In Matthew chapter 6, verse number 14. Matthew 6. 14. I hope you've got this underscored in your Bible. This is needful. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But 
If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Hello? To show mercy is to forgive others. But I, they've not said I'm sorry. You need to forgive them anyway. In your mind's eye and in your heart, you need to just let it go. Lay down your weapons and you need to forgive them. Showing mercy is not depressing. And you should not show mercy with a begrudging, um, regretful spirit. I want to read another verse. I preached out of Romans a few years ago. Romans chapter 12. That's coming to my mind. Romans chapter 12. Turn there. Romans chapter 12. Verse number 8. Oh, I love this verse. When you show someone mercy, you need to do it with joy. You need to do it with cheerfulness. You need to do it rejoicing. To show mercy ought to make you glad. Rather say, well, ah, I guess I'll let you go. No, you, it ought to bless you to show mercy to someone. You, you think God, when he forgave us, said, well, I guess so. No. He was rejoicing and all of heaven was rejoicing and he was singing over you. It was a blessing to him to show mercy to you. Romans chapter 12, verse number 8. No, no, there's, this is talking about gifts, okay? He that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Never forget one time I was on the, I was preaching in Bryson City, North Carolina, and they put me in a cabin. I had no TV, there was no cell phone, there was no landline either. We were preaching up there, and my wife had gone with me. Shelby was just little. There we were. We were doing homeschool in the room, and, and then I went up there to preach. At, I forget the name of that, Franklin Grove maybe, but God was moving in a mighty way in that town. I remember standing down by the, down by the river down there, and people were testifying. They didn't know who I was. I was in my street clothes. They said, man, there's revival going on down there. There's 10 people got saved last night. I can't wait to go back tonight. And, man, I was just getting excited. I went to McDonald's and I pulled up to the drive-thru and I, I invited a young lady to the, to the revival. She said, I know. She said, my friends have been telling me they've been going and I'm going to go tonight. I get off uh, this afternoon and I'm going to go to that revival tonight. I'm telling you, God was stirring there in that place. I mean, it was absolutely unbelievable what God was doing. But I'll say this. When we got in there, the first night of that meeting, it was just bound up. Not one thing had happened. And the second night of that meeting, it was bound up. Not one thing had happened. And I would preach and people would just, are y'all looking at me? They'd be like this. Like, why is he running pews, jumping through the choir? Why is he ready to leap over the fellowship hall, the communion table? Why is he jumping like, what's, it, what's to be so excited about? I mean, God was just blessing. And then I started getting discouraged because then people started discouraging me. I went to bring revival, preach revival and I started getting discouraged. And I was sitting on the back of a cabin, the deck of the cabin they put me in. It was cold outside. It was windy, blustery, kind of, you know, a little bit of rainfall. And they forget it. And I was so discouraged. I said, God, I don't even know what I'm going to preach tonight. They didn't even like the first two messages I preached. Nothing's happening here, Lord. Am I just dead? Am I wrong? Am I missing it? And about that time, a little bird, I think it was a sparrow, it just flew down. And it had a big, long worm in its mouth, in its beak. I know they don't have a mouth, they have a beak. 
and it laid it down on that deck rail in there, and it looked right, it turned its head, and it looked at me with its one little eye, and it, went, it started whistling, and it was just chirping, chirp, 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 chirp. And I thought, well, how cool. He sent his blessing over the worm that God just gave him. And he's being thankful. Well, while he was sitting there going, chirp, 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 a big old blackbird swooped in out of nowhere, grabbed that worm, and shoom, was gone. The little sparrow just kind of jumped like this, and he looked at me again, and he went, chirp, 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 and I went, bless God, that bird stole your worm. The worm got away. You need to be, well, I realize you're smaller than him, but you ought not to be happy about it. You ought to be putting on Facebook that somebody stole my worm. Has anybody seen it? That big blackbird, take it away. We got a pandemic going on right now. That's what you ought to be. But that little bird, he just kept looking at me with one eye, he kept turning his head like, I'm cheering, praising God. What's your problem? I'm on my way to heaven. My sins have been forgiven. And I started listening to that bird. And this is what he started saying. Cheer up, 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 cheer up. And man, it got a hold of me and God got me in the cheer-ups of the Bible and the cheerfulness of the Bible. And I'm telling you, revival broke out in my soul and then it went into that church and it broke. I told him, you know where I got it? I looked, God sent a little birdie. And a little birdie told me in the middle of a rainstorm and God moved, say, maybe 25, 30 people in that meeting. I'm just telling you, God, God wants us to have mercy and when things don't go our way, we can keep praising him. That little bird was cheerful. He was praising God no matter what happened. I think about Corey Ten Boom. How many of y'all know who Corey Ten Boom is? Okay, you remember Corey Ten Boom? She wrote the book, The Hiding Place. Here's a young lady that lost her family to the Nazis, her mom, her dad, siblings. She herself suffered many indignities and Years after she lived through the Holocaust, her family didn't, but she did. And years later, she was, had an opportunity to go speak at all these different places. And she was sharing the gospel. And after one night sharing the gospel, he said, Preacher dear, I don't believe a woman ought to share the gospel. Buddy, if you've been through the Holocaust, you could give some real testimonies of what God spared you through. About how good God had been to bring you through that. And she was sharing and after the service was over, a German, a former German officer walked up and she recognized him. He was the man at the showers that had stripped them. And this is what he said. Fraulein, I am grateful for your testimony. Jesus too has washed my sins away. And he put out his hand to shake hers. And she said immediately, when I saw his face and he put his hand towards me, I was insulted. All those bitter, revengeful feelings came back to my heart. And she said, I could not reach out my hand to shake his hand. She said, I bowed my head in prayer. Though I looked at him, I said silently to the Lord, Jesus I don't think I can forgive him. Grant me your forgiveness and grant me your mercy afresh. 
And she said, a current swept through her and peace came to her heart and she reached out her hand and shook his hand to show mercy and forgiveness of someone who had assaulted her and her family. She showed mercy. It's not easy to show other people mercy. So this afternoon I was studying and I was praying. And right here's where I thought I was going to finish the message. And the Holy Ghost, even still now, I cannot get away from this. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 6, there was a time when the man of God and his servant had been surrounded. His servant came out and looked and saw they were completely surrounded by the enemy. And he said to the man of God, he said, what are we going to do? We're turn there. Second Kings chapter six. We're completely surrounded, Elisha. What's going to happen to us? And Elisha said, "Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them." And Elisha said, "Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see." And the Lord opened that young man's eyes, and though he was surrounded by an enemy, he was able to see that God had the enemy surrounded. <laughs> what you don't realize is when you feel like you're in a corner, when you feel like you're surrounded, your God has your enemies encircled. They're enclosed. Now would you read with me in verse 18, and he saw chariots of fire, and the Lord is greater than our enemy. Look at verse 18. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people with, smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me. In other words, you're looking for Samaria, I'm going to take you there. He says, I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria, right? And he's going to be there too. It came to pass when they were coming to Samaria. Now get this, Samaria is the capital city of the land. And God has smote all the enemy with blindness. And Elisha is leading them down through the city streets of the capital of all of Israel. <laughs> he said, verse 20, It came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now, where they had surrounded Elisha before, now they see themselves surrounded by Israel. They getting ready to die. Every single one of them. And the king of Israel, I believe it was Jehoram, he said unto Elisha when he saw them, my father, Shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? In other words, can I kill them all? Men, they've been surrounding us and they've treated us evilly. Let's kill them all. And the man of God, he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? No, here's what he's saying. If you had taken these men as prisoners of war, in the, the rules in which we have, they're not to be killed. 
You're not to touch them. You're supposed to feed them and take care of them. They're prisoners of war under rules. So if you took them with sword and bow, what would you do? Would you smite them? No. He says, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master so the, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. What did he do? He showed mercy. He showed mercy. The very ones that had lined up, threatened them, ready to kill them all, the man of God said, smite them with blindness, led them to the middle of the city. Now the tables have been turned completely. The king is ready to kill them. Can I smite them? Let's destroy them. And the man of God said, no. Show mercy to them, give them bread and water, though they don't deserve it, and let them go. Show them mercy, and it blessed them, and it's, it heaped coals on them so bad, they didn't come back and try that again. I'm telling you, I don't know who, but tonight, we need to learn to show mercy to one another. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet tonight. Stand to your feet. Father, I thank you for the good word of God. I praise you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us tonight to gather in your house. And Lord, we're ashamed that we do not extend and show the mercy and the favor to others that we should. We're so quick to get our dander raised up and to show everybody just what we feel inside our heart. Lord, forgive us, for we are not the Christian you've commanded us to be. And Lord, I pray God that you'd help us, Lord, that we would show mercy to those that don't deserve mercy. Doesn't mean tolerate sin. Oh no, sin still has to be dealt with. But it means, Father, that as God has been merciful to us, we need to be merciful to others. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity and we ask your blessing in Jesus' name and all God's people say,